from uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. I should be pretty familiar with it by now, but um, let's look at it again. Please stand. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. And see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's word. Please be seated. This morning we're going to conclude our series that we began a number of weeks ago focusing on these passages and the shepherd's journey in their discovery, led by God, in their discovery of a Savior, their Savior. And so we've been looking through their eyes, we've been listening with their ears, we've been hopefully walking in this journey with their feet to respond from the, the, the darkness where we were found to the brilliance and the glory of the Lord shining all around us in our darkness, causing the darkness to flee, we respond, though not commanded, we respond to go and find the Christ child. And then we leave and we tell others. So, In the last couple of weeks, we have looked at what the shepherds heard. They heard angels, particularly an angel. And it was noteworthy at that time that the one angel brought the news. But notice, it was not satisfactory or sufficient for one angel to respond. Heaven emptied, a magnitude, a host of angels on once again, even the angels hearing the proclamation of good news, literally gospel, a Savior has come, that all of heaven empties and they respond. And the shepherds heard that. 
And then secondly, the, the shepherds went and they saw the Christ child. And they saw him in no rich palisade. They saw him in an animal shed. And there they saw him in all humility, remembering the, the scriptures of old or hearing Mary and Joseph recount of of how they came to similarly be led by an angel to have the announcement that she would conceive and it would be the promised Christos or Messiah, the, the anointed one, the promised one. And they saw that and they responded. And they responded by sharing, by witnessing. It says that they, in verse 17, that as they returned, that they, they went and they would tell others. They could not help but because this was a true life transformation. And then our focus verse this morning is verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. And I do believe that glorifying and praising are synonyms so close as to not quite be able to tell the difference. Glorifying is closer to worship. And praising is perhaps closer to conversations where the, the things that we worship enter into our conversation or the actions of the things that we worship and we glorify, the things that we praise are those, it becomes a little more common. Whereas glorifying seems to be stop, put aside distractions, focus. One seems to, praising is more of a lifestyle and glorifying seems to be much more intentional. But they're synonyms. And this morning I want you to see that as they returned, as it says in verse 20, the reason behind this Again, the motivation is because of what they heard originally, what they saw and would remember, and then thirdly, the things that they had been told. Whether it was by Mary and Joseph at the manger side, whether it was by others who could recount the ancient prophecies that were given to them, the things that they were told would influence them. And wherever they went, they now are transformed. And the indication of a changed life now is indicated by their giving glory and praising God. Our life, I would submit to you. And here's the, here's the challenge this morning. Our life is marked by that that we give glory to. Our life is marked and identified by what we praise. Our heart's affection, our heart's worship is found by the value that we place upon things or people and to the end that we value it above others, we will glorify it and we will praise it. Or, let me put it to you simply. We glorify the things that bring us glory. We glorify the things that bring us glory. Now, mind you, 
God is worthy as the angels would show us. That God is worthy of praise and giving honor and glory if He does nothing for us. There's a... There was a... uh, I was told this. I was not at this particular presbytery meeting, but um, a presbytery meeting is where ministers in a given geographical region get together along with elders to do the business of that region. And, Colin, I don't know how often your presbytery meets, but ours meets quarterly, and that's too often for me by far. But it's at these meetings that particularly young men or men coming into the ministry for the first time will be examined. Now, they've already been examined. They've already gone through years of seminary and training. They've already gone through committees, and they've gone through internships. and They've gone through a lot, and they finally stand before all of these very stern-faced men to have an oral examination. And they can be asked anything. They can be asked some particular nuance of a Greek word. Or they could be asked, outline the book of Leviticus. They could be asked a very deep and penetrating theological question like, explain to me, when were we justified for our sin? Before we were born or after we were born on earth? Very, you know, and and it's like some people in the presbytery take great delight in troubling them with these questions. Well, I'm told that one stood up and said, young man, I've just got one question for you, and that is, if God, for His own glory, were to condemn you to hell, would you give Him glory for that? If, is, it, is it possible that God could, for His own glory, condemn you to hell? Would you mind that? Would you mind it if He, for His own glory, condemned you to hell? The young man scratched his head. He was exhausted by now. He was, about, he was ready to be 100 miles away from this presbytery, And he said, well... I wouldn't like that for myself, but I'm not sure that I would mind it for you. Do you realize that the angels, and John Calvin says that the angels become a pattern of praise. They become a pattern of evangelism. They become a pattern of witness to the nation. They become a pattern of how to worship and give glory to God to these uneducated, unscholarly shepherds. I don't know that they would have been so theologically astute to be aware of this, but we should, that the angels gave glory to God. And this is the first thing that the shepherds heard were the angels giving glory. And it becomes a pattern to them. But the angels gave glory to God, not for what He had done for them. The angels knew nothing of grace experientially, but they knew everything of grace by seeing God stoop to be born in a stall, to become a Savior for sinners, to get dirty in order to get us out of the dirt. 
to take on the penalty so that we would not suffer the penalty. The angels knew of this but had never experienced it. In fact, it says a third of heaven fell in the great revolt in heaven. They never tasted grace. They never saw any of the mercy of God. They never saw anything but God's justice and yet they still praised Him for He's worthy to be praised and glorified because He is God. But more personally, more personally, what they would have heard as it says in verse 11, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And earlier in verse 10, they said, we don't want you to be afraid because we're bringing you, you shepherds, we're bringing you good news. Right now, in the dark recesses of your life, if God were to show up, do you think you would fear Him? Do you think that you would be concerned if you knew that God was going to show up in the darkness in our life? Do you think that you would have a passing thought that He's going to judge me and condemn me? Well, what these men heard was that they no longer had to fear because peace, even though it's going to yet be completely demonstrated in its accomplishment of paying the debt for our sins on the cross, in God's mind, the angels announce that His feet accomplished. It's already accomplished. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward those that He puts His favor upon and His love and His grace upon. Good news. This term for good news, the gospel was used to announce a Savior. Be it a conquering king, be it the overthrow of a cruel oppressor, bring it, be it ship, a ship in distress and men receiving, good news, good news, I see a rescue in sight. But it was always used in terms of the arrival of a rescuer and a Savior. They would have heard that and they would have taken that to heart so that you get the response in verse 20 that they would return glorifying and praising God. And then secondly, I want you to know, notice that they said that they glorify and they praise God because of what they saw. Now, this is really important. If you look, let me give you just two quick examples. Well, first of all, let me say this. What they, what they saw was what we did not, we have not seen physically. What they saw, as the scriptures tell us here, by the instructions of the angel in verse 12, is that they're going to have this great sign that they're going to see a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. That's what they saw. And they didn't go to verify it, like, I don't really believe this. They said, no, let's go see this. What they saw was the humiliation, the low point, the lowest depths that God was willing to go to in order to, I mean, becoming human. If he had become a prince among men, that would have been humiliating enough. But to come as a baby that is helpless, that gurgles and and needs diaper changes, and, 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 and can have, I believe that they would have colic, you know? I do believe that it would be tough being a kid in that neighborhood as Jesus grew up. 
Can you imagine being a kid like that and your mom always saying, why can't you be like him? Why can't you be like him? But here he's an innocent, without sin, helpless, helpless baby. And he's in an animal shed. And he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. He can't even move his little arms around. Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry says that the shepherds would have been struck by the humiliation of the Messiah come. God on earth. God among us. God come to be our Savior. The, the crown prince after the line of David. They would have been as struck with him being in swaddling clothes as we are struck by his humility of being taken down off a bloody cross where he was a naked, you know, naked, a naked view for all these people and then wrapped in grave clothes. In other words, to see him dead and laid away in grave clothes is as humiliating a thing to us as it must have been to see him in the manger. I, I once had an intern by the name of Thomas whose brother died. And his brother, uh, as a young man, was a very snappy, flashy dresser. I mean, he had very expensive suits, really, really trendy. He, was, he, he just was well-dressed, and he was the same size as Thomas. And so Thomas had come to town. He was, a, he was an intern. His brother lived uh, a little bit of a distance away. But he had the responsibility of picking out what suit his brother was going to be buried in. It was the southern custom of an open casket viewing, and you see the, the deceased all you know, very well-dressed, and then later they, they bury you. Well, <clears throat> he had decided that his brother had long said, because it was a lingering illness, his brother had said, you can have all of my clothes. And Thomas was great. That was great for Thomas because he lived on his shoestring and his same size. This is wonderful. Thank you, brother. And he said, to honor my brother, I'm going to pick my favorite suit. I'm going to pick my favorite suit to be his grave clothes. And so he took him to the mortician and they, they said, yes, we can take care of that. And he came back the day later, and said, oh, by the way, I meant to tell you, I want the suit. Don't bury him in that suit. I mean, he's gone. It's just a body there now. So I'd like to have that suit. After the viewing, just put him in anything, and then I, I want that suit back. And they just kind of scratched their head and said, okay, you want the grave clothes? That's okay. Well, he went back to, after the funeral and service and everything. He went back a couple of days later to pick up the suit. And he went to the mirror. He took out the jacket and he said, man, this, this is going to be great. And he put the jacket on and that's when he realized that the sleeves had been totally cut from the back. The, the back had been all cut up and he was like, man, they shredded this suit. What is going on? Called the funeral home and they said, well, sir, we thought it was an odd request, but you really didn't think that we would take the departed and stand them up and put their arm in a coat and everything. We just shred it off and we just lay it on them. It's just grave clothes. And Thomas remarked, he said, that was one of the lessons, great lessons that God taught me in my life 
is that I can stand in front of the mirror thinking that I'm in all of my finery, but it's just grave clothes. Apart from Christ, apart from Christ taking my swaddling clothes, apart from Him wearing those things, then it's all grave clothes. The shepherds would have seen that. The shepherds would have acknowledged we need a Savior. And He has become like one of us, more so, He is our substitute. And again, time this morning doesn't permit me to unpack all of this, but the Scripture over and over again says that God, out of His great desire ever since the garden to restore us in fellowship in relationship with Him in His family, has said, I will come and I will pay the price. And the shepherds saw Christ come in swaddling clothes and could say, He'll be our substitute. He will, we don't quite understand it all, and how it's all going to come to pass, but He's our Savior. And they would have seen it. Do you see that? It would have influenced them over and over again. I, 1 John, and we're going to return to our series on 1 John in the new year, but 1 John, as he's writing this letter, he says, let me tell you why I'm writing. Let me tell you why I'm praising God. Let me tell you why I'm giving glory to Jesus. And he says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest, made visible to us. And he goes on and he says, I've seen that. I've seen that. Time won't permit me to turn to Ephesians to say, we have seen it as well. If you're a follower of God through the person of Jesus Christ, you would have had to have seen Jesus Christ. And you would have had to conclude that He is a wonderful healer. He is the most excellent of teachers. He's the most tender of hearts. He is the most compassionate, compassionate of givers to the poor and the diseased, and the lame, and the alien. But you would have had to conclude that in addition to all of these things and more so, He's a Savior. He's my substitute. You would have to see that. And really seeing it in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 1, his prayer is that we would see with the eyes of our heart. We can't physically lay eyes on a a child in a manger in swaddling clothes that is the, the promised substitute. But with the eyes of our heart opened by the Holy Spirit, and only so, will we see Him. And when we see Him, then we see our grave clothes But we see Him come to remove them and to clothe us in His righteousness. To clothe us in purity. And when we see that, you can't help but give Him glory. What do you give glory to? Because that's the nature of sin. 
all sin perhaps could be reduced to what we want or what we crave or what we have that we want to keep. In other words, all sin could actually be reduced to what we worship, what we value, what we give glory to. And the reason we give it is because it gives glory to me. What do you see as that thing that causes you to proclaim this is valuable? What do you see that causes you to praise it even in public or with friends or in your own heart? What do you worship? What do you glorify? For whatever, whatever you receive glory from, whatever you worship, you will glorify. Let me give you one example. Let's say that you are busy, busy, busy. Busy to the point of exhaustion. You're, you're worn out. You're frazzled. Maybe you're short with loved ones because you're just so busy, busy, busy. And it's exhausting. I mean, you're doing these things because you think, I, I really want to do these things, but at the end of the day, there's still a laundry list of things left undone, and you're just tired. And then you've got tomorrow's things to do. You're stressed. What if you would look and say, how many of these things that I'm busy about are because I want to please other people? Or I want to conform to their desires or their agenda or what they hold out to me as if you do this, I will think highly of you. In other words, whose opinions are driving us? Why does it matter so much? What happens is, is if the opinion of other people, if the good thoughts of other people, if the acceptance of other people, or if other people being pleased with us, which is another definition of glory. You know what? I'm going to ask Janelyn, would you do me a favor? We're going to just keep an eye on the Advent candle. Sorry about this. The way things have gone this morning, I'm smelling an Advent candle getting ready to catch on fire here. Okay, maybe I'm smelling something else. But the things that, the, if the opinions of others matter more than the opinions of God, then that will drive our life. And we will try to bring them glory by either meeting their agenda or keeping them happy or doing things for them. Here, we see the shepherds saying, we now know that we matter in the eyes of God. And because of that, what others think of us, unschooled, uneducated men, it doesn't matter as much. And then notice, finally, what they were told. It's very interesting here that not only were there things that they heard, such as from the angels, and not only were there, was there a, a child in swaddling clothes that they saw as their substitute, that prompted them to glorify and praise. But they began to put stock, so much so that they would respond with their worship and with their praise to all that they would come across, the things that they were told. We live in a very cynical society. And it's getting more cynical with each generation. The younger you go, it seems, that the more cynical people are. 
distrustful, suspicious. Such that you, you, it is a good thing to prove things chapter and verse. But there's also quite a few things that we may say that are sayings, doctrine. We have creeds, we have confessions of faith. In fact, our very own catechism tells us that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our chief end is not to hear a sermon and be preached to death. The chief end is not to simply do good works in His name. The chief end is to bring Him glory with our lives, to glorify Him, for Him to become the, the number one thing that gives us value and gives us meaning, and that matters, and that we respond with worship, that it flows. But there would have been things that they would have been told along the way. Other people beginning to fill it in. And they wouldn't have had necessarily chapter and verse, though it could have been found. There would have been things that would have been sayings. Such as you can turn on your own to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, where the Apostle Paul, talking to a young minister, church planter, Timothy, would say, here's a trustworthy saying, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. And this is Apostle Paul at the end of his life. And he says, I'm, I'm still the worst sinner. Now we can find that throughout the Scriptures. But it's, there are things that our Sunday school teachers teach us, that our community group leaders teach us, that our friends tell us to be true. They speak into our life. And chapter and verse can be there, but these are trustworthy sayings, particularly from people, particularly from people, if not only, from those that give glory to God. Why do I share that with you? Because we see that these unschooled men were the first missionaries. These unschooled, unscholared, biblically illiterate, why they couldn't even read and write. They perhaps had never held a scroll, and if they had in temple, they couldn't read it. Uncouth, rough, shod. But it's these men that would now begin to take what they had heard, take that they had seen, listening to what other people have spoken into their life, and then they would glorify and praise God from that. If I could have one last application this morning, it would be this. That little word there when it says in verse 20, and the shepherds returned. The shepherds returned. They didn't stay there at the manger scene and simply worship. They didn't simply come to church, be a Christian at church, worship at church, glorify at church, and then go back to a divided world. You've got the church world and you've got the secular world. There was no division there. They returned. Also, they didn't return to go to the ministry. They didn't go on to Bible college or, or seminary. Nothing wrong with those things if God is calling you. But God called these men to go to 
the mission field that they were able to tell as they had learned in the greatest language that they were familiar with. They didn't have to learn a language and go to a people that they didn't know. Instead, he said, these men returned to their businesses. And they returned there to glorify and to praise God. It's one of the greatest callings that we can experience in our life next to our salvation. It's the cause, the call that in our workplace, no matter how humble, no matter how common it is, that like these shepherds, we would lead and leave an animal shed where we see Jesus and we experience him as our substitute, my Savior, not just yours, but I experience him as my Savior, and I go to a sheep pen. And I can do that now because he met me and he came to me and my life has purpose and all my relationships have purpose, particularly in the, in the workplace. And I do apologize if you're in the workplace and you have that particularly obnoxious Christian that's waving a track in front of your face and is always looking to, to preach a sermon just to you. I apologize to you. Two Rivers, we would be a people that act more like a people who are ever in love. We would act more like a people who we have found the object of our affection. And we worship Him. And so we become like these shepherds, much more carefree, yet solid, contagious, going about wherever we're going, even as the Great Commission says, go as you're going, wherever you go. Simply go as a people in love, and you will give glory to that that gives you glory. We did include this week, verse 21, that it says eight days after his birth, he would have been circumcised. He would, at that point, take on the law to fulfill it. Again, it's another study, but part of Christ being circumcised at that point would say he is going to live his life and he's going to fulfill the law where we failed it. He is going to live with the Lord, his God, as the chief object that he gives glory to and takes glory from where we have failed it. But as our substitute, he bears well the name that even the angel said, you shall call this child Yeshua, deliverer, savior, for he will save his people of their sins. At this table we see a visual demonstration once again that we might see with the eyes of our heart Jesus Christ. We might see Christ crucified at this table. But Christ is not simply broken in the elements. We of the Reformed persuasion see Christ alive at this table serving us with himself to remind us of what we have heard, that we might see him once again in all of his humility, yet our great glory dying in our place, 
And that we might raise the cups to our lips and receive again the taste of the promise that as we eat now, we will eat with Him in the heavens. It's all there. We have heard it. We can see it. We've been told. And now we can receive it. And by taking this, we can go into our workplaces and our relationships. We can meet people at the intersection of life. And we can share with them by giving God glory what we have heard and we have seen and what we've been told. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask that you set aside these elements for your purpose and for your holy use this morning. That you would strengthen our faith. You would remind us of that good news that we have heard. You would show us once again that Christ is for us. Come to us and that those things that we have been told, the promise, the promise of an ever-increasing transformed life, the promise of heaven, the things that we have been told are all true, and that we would respond by giving you glory. Use these elements to strengthen us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.